Hey everyone and welcome to Livingston First Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really hope you're ready to hear a great message from the Word of God. So prepare your hearts, prepare your ears, and get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. Be blessed. I bring you guys either a message or a series of messages that would really be a tough pill to swallow. Do you guys remember that? If you were here, you said I said it and I gave you the opportunity to not show up. It looks like a few took advantage of that opportunity. Just kidding. It's snowy and it's cold outside, and I totally understand that. But this message today is going to be kind of difficult, and I want to give you fair warning because I don't want you to come under the spirit of accusation because how many of you know that the enemy wants you to take what I'm preaching today to destroy you? He wants to, to rip you down. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself, and I'm preaching at the culture uh, of, the, of the, the country that we live in. Amen? Is everybody good with that? I'm not preaching at you. If you feel accused, I promise you that I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at the culture. Some of you, will. this will really resonate, and it won't be really deep or uh, really profound or something you didn't know, but you'll really, you'll, you'll resonate with this. And some of you, you'll hear some of this and you'll want to be angry and offended, and I give you permission to be offended. Being offended is not a problem. The problem is when you stay offended. Amen? In fact, offense is a great way for the Holy Spirit to reveal something in you that needs to be addressed. So I, I, don't, I don't mind people getting offended. I have a problem with you staying offended. Okay? All right. We good? I love you. That's why I'm preaching this message. This will be basic for some. It'll be really tough for others, and that's okay. I'm preaching to the culture. I, I, I want us to be equipped and ready and able to explain to the culture why we believe what we believe. Amen? Amen? I want to be, be a part of a body who is able and ready to confront things in culture that need confronting, right? But not just confront them and be able to shout about them, but be able to live from the truth. It's one thing to be angry. It's another thing to be convicted, isn't it? It's another thing to want to live from the truth, to be able to explain why something is deception and live from the truth, okay? Now, I give this message during the Cleo Mission Schools, uh, so I usually give it to missionaries, and it'll sound like a message to missionaries, but the good news is, is all of you are actually missionaries, right? (laughs) We are commissioned with Christ to be missionaries onto the earth. You may not feel like it. You may feel like you just wake up and go to work, but you actually get the opportunity to be a missionary in your workplace. Right, Dr. Cates? That's right. Right, Dino? Yeah, you get to make that choice. I'm going to be a representative of Jesus in my workplace. Therefore, I'm a missionary. Some are called overseas. Right? Some missionaries are called overseas. More missionaries are called to the communities they've been planted in. So I give this to the, the, the missionary students, sort of to be the, the guy who comes in and, and smacks them out around a little bit, and then I get to leave, and then Don and Jackie get to clean up the mess. But that's not the case today, because I'll be here, uh, not next week, because I'm on my spring break, but the week after. <laughs> So have grace on me. You're allowed to get offended. You're not allowed to stay offended. I love you. This is preached to the culture, not directly to you, but it might help you as well. Okay? Good? Let's pray. Let's go. Who said that? Let's go. Jesus, that's our prayer. Let's go. We want you to use us for the nations, Jesus. We want you to use us for our communities. We want you to take us and break us and send us to the most broken places on earth to reveal your glory. And we pray, Jesus, that this word would equip us. Father, we we believe and we confess with our mouths that you are Lord of lords, King of kings, and that you, Jesus, made the word flesh. And that today the flesh is dwelling, or the word is dwelling among us. And that you, Lord, have a desire to overcome our flesh with your word. And we receive that. We yield to you. We yield to you, Jesus. We yield our hearts and we yield our flesh to your word today. Amen.
Side note, I challenge you, if you are offended, to dig through the words yourself and prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, okay? I want you to do that. I, I actually, I, I hope you would. I hope that if you hear something that you go, ooh, that doesn't sound good, that you would go into the words yourself, dig, allow Holy Spirit to speak to you individually, and then send me a nice long email to synthkhill at gmail.com and prove me wrong. Just kidding. That's not a good joke. Okay. All right. How many of you know that you are called to something? Right? You are, you are called by God to the body, to, to, to the ecclesia, but inside the ecclesia that God puts a calling and a grace and anointing on your life to do something specific to you. Right? Did you know that? Did you know that you're unique? You were made uniquely in the image of God? That he has unique giftings, unique characteristics about you that are wonderful and beautiful and noteworthy and need to be represented in God's body? Did you know that? How many of you know that without you, we lose a part of God's revelation on the earth? You were made in his image. You are unique, but you were made in his image. And you have giftings and graces and abilities that represent him on the earth. And it's important. You're also called. Did you know that you're called? Maybe to this body, yes, amen. But also to a, a, a specific calling within this body. And maybe you don't know what that calling is, and that's okay, but I want to give you keys to help you walk in your calling. I want to give you resource so that whether you know what you're called to or not, you can walk into your calling confidently, full of expectation, bound by the power of the Holy Spirit into what God has prepared for you as his unique creation on the earth. How many of you know that calling comes with process? Every calling comes with a process. You can't get around it. You can't leapfrog it. You can't microwave what God is doing in your life. Every calling comes with a process. Why does, a call, why does calling come with process? Because God is not necessarily worried about your skills. He'll give you plenty of those. He's not worried about the grace you walk in. He's got more than enough to go around. He's not intimidated by the giftings you've not discovered in yourself because he's the giver and he can reveal them to you. Those things don't impress him. What he's actually impressed with is your character. Your character. Your character is what impresses God. Did you know your character is what moves God's heart as you walk in the calling he's put on your life? See, character is not important to the world, is it? We, we like to highlight the, the cool things that we can do or the, the, we like to leverage relationships or we like to, to promote ourselves within culture. And we think that our giftings can sustain us. Your gifting will not sustain you in your call. How many of you know that? Your gifting will not sustain you in your call. In fact, unless you have allowed God to give you process to refine your character, eventually you will be consumed by the gifting within you. You will be consumed by it. Right? 2 Timothy 2 Verse 20 through 21, in a well, this is Paul talking to his protege, Timothy, and teaching how to walk in the call God has given to his life. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasion, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, hear that loud and clear, if you keep yourself pure... You will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Why is Paul talking about dishes right now? Doesn't make any sense, right? We're not dishes. No, he's making an analogy, right? He's, he's, he's teaching Timothy how to walk in the call. How many of you know that your destiny does not hinge on what you can and cannot do? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, that it's not up to what I can and cannot do. You're not impressed with the gifts you gave me, 
right? You're not impressed. How many of you know when you buy your children a gift, you're not impressed by the gift that you give your child because you gave it to them, right? They don't bring it to you a week later and say, look how amazing this is. Aren't you so impressed by this gift that you gave me? No, because I gave it to you. It's only through my capability to give you the gift that you're able to receive it, right? Your destiny is determined by your character. The only thing standing between you and what you're called to is your willingness to lay your life down for a life of righteousness that Jesus paid for on the cross. Walking in repentance, living a lifestyle of righteousness will take you much further than any gifting you could ever develop in your life. <laughs> in fact, there will be more people who are, there's, there's more people skilled, anointed, and better preachers than I am who will not go as far as I go. And I don't say that in arrogance. I'm not, I know who I am. But my desire for righteousness will take me much further than any gifting will take anyone else. That's what Paul is saying here. Okay, you want to have a, a, a one, two, three plan for how to get to what God is calling you to? Develop a pure life. Live in a lifestyle of repentance. Allow God to ordain a process in your life where you learn to let go of yourself and grab more into who he is as he refines your character. That's how you walk out into your destiny. See, we think we've got to keep refining skills, refining skills, adding more knowledge, adding more knowledge. The Lord likes that. He's okay with that. But if you really want to move his heart, if you really want to petition heaven, you need to allow him to refine your character. Your character is what sustains you in your call. Amen? Amen. Okay. Your character can only be refined through God-ordained process. So if you're just foolish and you keep running into trials because of your foolishness, refining is not going to happen. You just need to clean up your messes. Amen? We're all okay with that, right? We get that. You just keep making bad choices, you're going to have bad messes to clean up. And I've done plenty of those in my life. Thank God for God's mercy and for the gift of repentance. Okay? But God ordains process in your life to prove to you that what you say is true is actually true inside of you. Okay? It's easy to say what, what is true is true, but it's, it's hard to live what you say is true. Amen? And God uses process to whittle out the things that are not of him, but you've confused as him, to whittle those things out to develop in you the things that are really true. Amen? In Deuteronomy 8, God is speaking to the disciples or to the Israelites in the wilderness, and he says this to them in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, verse 3, or verses 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. Why did God lead them through the wilderness for 40 years? Humbling them. And allowing them to walk through trials. To prove, this is the interactive part, to prove their, why has God allowed you to walk through a process with many trials up and down? What is he trying to do within you? He's trying to prove your, <laughs> who wants to go to the promised land? What's standing between you and the promised land? The refinement of your character to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Okay, you don't live on what you can do and what you can provide for yourself. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Amen. So process makes the word come alive within us. <laughs> you can't steward the word of God for your life. It won't be alive inside of you until you allow him to develop your character. Refined character carries the word of God. <laughs> amen. You can say amen to that. I, I was, that was a new one. I never heard that before. 
refined character gives us the capacity to steward the word of God inside of us. Until you, you allow God to refine you through process, you're just saying things you like. You're just repeating things you know sound good. Until God has broken something in you and refined your character, you cannot carry the word of God. This is why process is so important. If you leave your church services on Sunday morning and don't embrace the process God has ordained for your life, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time because you'll get excited and praise God, hallelujah, but then you'll cry, complain, and gripe Monday through Saturday. You've got to learn to embrace what God is doing in your life, whether you like it or not. Amen? (laughs) Comfort is for dead people. (laughs) That's hard because I love comfort. I've got a big chair in my living room that I plan to watch college basketball in today. And hallelujah, that's a good thing. But a lifestyle of comfort is for dead people. You will have an eternity of comfort. The days you've been given today is for God-ordained process that refines your character. Amen? Amen. In 1 Samuel, there's a lot of scripture today, so I'm just going through it fast. I don't want to run out of time. Uh, we might have to do this over a course of a couple weeks, but there's so many words I want to give. This, the, the river of God is never ceasing, right? So I want to get through as much of this today as I can. So if you want to go with me to 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. I'm just going to go quickly and you can read from the board. Samuel is going to find King Saul's replacement. Why is he finding King Saul's replacement? Because he made God's call in his life about him and what he could do rather than what God was doing through him, right? Good? Okay. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replies, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders came to the town, trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab, (laughs) that's a hard one, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is, there is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he is out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Amen. How many of you know that David, in that moment, was ordained king of Israel? It was the word of the Lord. It came upon him. It gave him his call. It gave him his destiny. But how many of you also know there was a process from the day David was called until the call was fulfilled in his life? If David had his choice, would he have walked through 
everything that happened from the day he was called to the day the crown was on his head? No, of course not. Same for you. The day you were called, it became true. It became the reality of your life. What heaven said about you was more true than what you felt. But how many of you know the day you were called to what you were called to is not the fulfillment of what you were called to in your life? There's a process, right? How many of you know also that the world can't hide you from heaven? The world can't hide you from heaven, right? Samuel goes and he sees all the strong, strapping lads and he's like, that one, this one, that one, this one. And the Lord rebukes him and says, Samuel, you are looking at the wrong things. You're looking for another Saul. You're looking for another uh, person that is pleasing to the world. I am looking for a man who is willing to give me their heart. Who is willing to embrace what I want to do through them. And who is willing to allow me to refine their character so that I can be the sole idol of their life. See, again, God does not need your gifts. He does not need your talent. He does not need your skill. He could reproduce you in an instant if he wanted to. But he does it because he wants your heart. You're all good right now, right? We're just taking off. We're not even to the part where you're going to get angry at me yet. We're not even there. We're like just coming up off the ground, right? So that day that David was anointed was the day that the process started. I remember where my own process began, right? I got uh, healed 13 years ago. My, uh, at the time, three-year-old son prayed for a wisdom tooth that got healed, and I became on fire for the Lord, on fire for the Lord. I remember going to sleep that day and having a really vivid dream that I remember even 13 years later. In the dream, uh, I, I was in a little mountain village. A little mount, I, could see, I could see from like an eagle's point of view myself in a mountain village, right? And I was leading groups of people and we were carrying torches and we were going from door to door in the village lighting the tor- dead torches in people's houses giving them fire, and then moving on. I had no idea what that dream was 13 years ago. I I knew it was from God. I woke up excited like, wow, Lord, you're speaking to me. But how many of you knew I had no idea? And I had no idea that it'd be another 10 years before I began to see that call be played out in my life. And if I had my choice, it wouldn't have looked like the way it looked like. (laughs) There would have been a much easier process that I would have chosen for myself. And I'm guessing I have a hint that you probably feel the same way about your life. See, you are called to what you're called to. That thing that stirs your heart, that God has spoken to you, that you have desire for, is real. It's real. You are called to it. But you need to learn to embrace the process like David did, so that you can receive the fulfillment of your call. It stands as true today as the day God called you. The only thing that could stand in the way is your unwillingness to submit and yield yourself to his process. So you may feel like you're covered up by the world. The world can't cover you up. Jesse's Jesse's his daddy tried to hide him. He had more authority than anyone else could have in his life. Still couldn't hide what God was doing in David's life. You may feel unseen, unwanted, not good enough, unworthy. And the Lord says, the world cannot cover what I've put in you if you'll submit to what I'm doing in your life. Okay. So if you want to walk in your call, we're going to... We're going to go through some keys. We're going to go through some keys. I'm going to try not to skip over any of it. Okay. Your call is a part of an eternal river, not a personal pond or swamp. Amen. So it's not about you. I need you to walk in your call as much as you need you to walk in your call, right? The moment you make your call about you is the moment when bacteria and algae and all the gross stuff in the pond 
starts to overcome you. Right? Amen. Recognition, self-promotion, comfort, and luxuries are for celebrities. Okay? Those things are for celebrities. Discipline, sacrifice, commitments, and trials are for the church. (laughs) Want me to say that again? (laughs) Okay. Recognition, self-promotion, comfort, and luxuries are for celebrities. Discipline, sacrifice, commitment, and trials are for the church. How many of you know there's no such thing as a Christian celebrity? (laughs) Like, I watch them on YouTube all the time. I know, me too. I like them. That's That's a fantasy. Christian celebrityism is a fantasy. It's a thing that was made in the last 70 years by the Western church. There's no such thing as a Christian celebrity. So if your call revolves around you and what you can do, then you're being deceived. Amen? And if you've not reconciled that yet, you need to spend time in your prayer closet discovering Jesus' worth. Good? The world does not need more people consumed with themselves. The world does not need more people consumed with themselves. The world needs people consumed by Jesus. Amen? It's an extreme honor and pleasure. If your focus is on Jesus, it becomes an extreme honor and pleasure to lay your life down to the process he's called you to. Amen? Okay. Again, this is not preaching at you. This is, we're, we're now getting up to 20,000 feet. Okay. Okay, we're good. We're good so far. I'm sure we are. Part of the process is learning how to work. <laughs> Part of the process, let's say it again. Part of the process is learning how to work. If you're afraid of hard work, then you'll never find your destiny. If you're afraid of hard work, if you're not willing to work hard and, and to, to plug yourself into work, then you're going to miss what God has called you to. Being called is not a good way to get out of hard work, is it? Again, this is not anybody in here. I'm speaking to the culture. We have a problem in our culture with people avoiding work because they're waiting for something better. There's nothing better than learning how to work. Right? We good? All right. In fact, not working in the community God has called you to actually becomes a roadblock and an obstacle to preaching the gospel in that community. Right, Jason? If you won't work where you're called, people won't be willing to listen to you. Right? You won't have influence unless you're able to work among the people you're called to. Good? Hmm. If you're afraid of hard work and you're, you have a feeling of being stuck and unsure of God's direction in your life, the first thing you need to do is go get a job. (laughs) I'm just saying, it's in the Bible. You can read it for yourself. Real discipleship, real Holy Spirit-empowered process looks like doing the things no one else is willing to do. Right? God will bless you and reveal your destiny to you inside of work. Who believes that? It's the truth. It's the truth. Let me show you. David was anointed king while he was at work, at his job. He was at the job when he was anointed king, caring for his father's flocks. Moses had the experience with the Lord at the burning bush while he was at, who was he working for? Jethro. He was working for Jethro when God's destiny for his life was revealed to him. Gideon, where was he at when the angel of the Lord came and called him a mighty man of God? Where? But what was he doing? Work. He was working. He was working his job. He was 
threshing grain in the wine press, he wasn't really doing his job right, but even his willingness to work got past the confusion of how to do the work, and God could show him his destiny. <laughs> guys good? Daniel, where did God do the most powerful things in Daniel's life? It's not a trick question. Work. <laughs> where was Peter when Jesus called him to his ministry? He was at work. He was fishing. He's a fisherman. He was working. We good? It's a simple word, but some of, some of us get stuck because we're just not doing the, the, the simple things that God has made us to do. Okay, we're good now. We're at like 30,000 feet. I can feel the silence from the pressure. <laughs> Matthew, where was he when God called him? What was his job? He's a tax collector. He was collecting taxes, and Jesus revealed his destiny to him while he was at work. Ah, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> where, who did Jacob work for? Laban. I mean... Joseph, where was he? Work. Do you get the pattern? There's almost no New Testament or Old Testament characters who found their calling outside of the context of work. If you feel stuck, you might need, this is for people watching the live stream, because I know all of us are hardworking folk, but you may need to get a job. You may need to just go put that application in. Work is where destiny is revealed. We good? Okay. If you're unwilling to work because it's beneath you, because you believe you're called to something much more than labor, then you will miss the calling God has for your life. Amen? Amen? We good? All right. There are things that were spoken to me from Holy Spirit at work that I would have never learned in a seminary. There were things I learned from unsaved co-workers that I still carry and use today in my life that I would have never have learned inside the context of, of ministry school. You will learn things doing your job that no professor can ever teach you. Amen? Amen. If you're in a community and you're unwilling to work, you are advertising that you think that community is beneath you. You are publicly declaring that I have something to bring to you, you have nothing to give to me, and therefore I can't live in the way that you live. <laughs> it's just the truth. I remember uh, when I, I, I planted the, the work up in Twinton, I would drive up the mountain and down the mountain two times a week. An hour's worth of driving each way, and I would go up, knock on doors, nothing would happen, come down, be disappointed. Go back up, knock on doors, nothing would happen, be disappointed. That went on for like two years, just going up, going down, going up, going down. And I remember I made a relationship with a widow up there, and the widow lived in a very modest home, and there was a hole in her roof. How many of you know it's not good to have a sky, skylight without the glass, Right? The rain would pour in. Every time it rained, her house would be flooded. And she asked me one day, hey, could you come up? She called me on the phone. Could you come up and fix the hole in my roof? Now, I had just came off the mountain, so the last thing I wanted was to go back up the mountain. How many of you have ever made that drive? I know a few of us have. It's, it's a long drive. It's not for the faint of heart. Get car sick. So I said, yeah, totally. I'll come fix your roof. <laughs> <laughs> right? My, my flesh was saying, uh, I don't want to do that. Can't she call somebody else? Isn't there somebody else she can call? But I knew that if I said no to her, that she would not be able to see, receive the witness that I wanted to present to her. So I begrudgingly loaded my ladder in the truck and all my tools in the truck, and I got back in, and I made the long trip back up, and I the whole time, oh, sure, sure, right, right, right. Just mad. I get up there. She's in her home waiting for me. And you know who's with her? Her uh, granddaughter and her granddaughter's boyfriend. 
<laughs> this guy can do what I just drove up here to do. Why is he not doing what you've called me to do? I was mad. And just as I'm about to open my, my fat mouth to, to ruin the whole thing and make a mess, the, the, the wind blows and I hear the Holy Spirit and he says, this work is an opportunity for you to preach the gospel. Okay, fine, whatever. So I, I put the ladder up and I tell the, the, the young man, hey, you're not going to sit there. You're going to come up the ladder with me. So we go up on the roof, we fix the hole, and the whole time I'm listening to him, but kind of angry because he's not the one doing it and I'm the one doing it, you know, whatever. And we get down, and the Lord says, are you going to take the opportunity or are you going to miss it? So I just very plainly asked him about the relationship with the, the Lord. And you know what happened? The, the granddaughter and the boyfriend both got delivered and gave their hearts to Jesus that day. <laughs> right? How did that, yeah, amen, we can clap. How did, thank you, Lord. Where did that opportunity come from? Work. <laughs> Work. It's not an ugly word. It's where destiny is revealed. Amen? Key number two. We're going to do one more key, and then I'm going to sideline this till next week. Are we good? Everybody good? Key number two. Learn how to be committed. Learn how to be committed. How many of you know that the word commitment is not evil? It doesn't work against you. Commitments work for you. Commitments can un feel unsatisfying at times, can't they? It's, I mean, let's just be honest. Commitments feel ucky, like, oh, I'm committed to this. Oh, gosh, this is terrible. But how many of you know that commitments are Holy Spirit-enabled dis disciplines that protect you from your flesh? I'll say that again. Commitments are Holy Spirit disciplines that protect you from your flesh. How many of you know that every good thing is not a God thing? Every good thing is not a God thing. If it's not a God thing, then what is it? It's a distraction. It's a distraction, isn't it? If you d and maybe you don't know where you're called to be committed, but when you are committed to something, it actually keeps you and protects you from wasting your time in distractions. It's a safety guard from your flesh. How many of you know that all of us, including me, confuse our flesh for the voice of God at times? Everyone. It's everybody. We all do it. Commitments actually bring clarity to what we don't understand. When I commit to something of God, I create a safety fence from every distraction that is not of God. Doesn't feel good because you have to say no to things that might seem really impressive and, and really of the Lord. But as you learn to commit, you learn to grow in the call that God has given in your life. Amen? People who say they can't commit because they want to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit is calling them to are typically people who are insecure about what they feel called to. <laughs> okay, we good? If you live a lifestyle of being uncommitted, which I've dealt with before, I'm still dealing with now, I don't, I don't feel like I've totally solved the case and I'm just the perfect committal uh, pastor that you all love and enjoy. I know I have a problem with this, but I also recognize my inability to commit to what I, I am called to is proof that I'm insecure about what I've been called to. <laughs> we good? You get that? Again, every good opportunity that distracts you from your call usually demands that you break a healthy commitment. Right? So how many, how, how many of you know that you can identify the wrong direction... Because it causes you to break a healthy commitment you made before the Lord. Right? We good? Is everybody okay? I know this is like, this is kind of laborsome. I wish I had a good joke to put in right here to, to help you through. But it's true. Learning to commit actually protects you from walking outside of your call. Let me say that again. Learning to commit 
protects you from walking outside of your call. Good? Good. Where are we? It's almost 12. The, the game starts soon. Just kidding. <laughs> so, committing to a healthy local church. Okay? Committing to a healthy local church is really important. An ecclesia. Sometimes people are like, I only do traditional church or I only do house church. How many of you know there's no difference? It's just the church. It's just the ecclesia. And you need to find the one that you're called to, the body that you're called to, and make a commitment to them so that you can allow community to refine your character around you in the presence of God. Right? Are we good? Jesus committed to you by dying for you on the cross and giving you his life and building a community called the church for you to be connected to. If you find yourself saying, oh, you know, like I follow Jesus and I, I believe he's the son of God and I, I, I have a relationship with him, but you won't do the church thing, you won't do the ecclesia, you're missing out on part of what he died for you to participate in. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's house church, doesn't matter if it's big church, doesn't matter if it's mega church, but that it is the ecclesia, that it is the church. You need to be committed to a body of believers that you can submit yourself to. Again, submission is a choice. Control is forced, right? That you can submit yourself to and grow and, and, and the call you were called to as your character is refined. How many of you know it's easy to say, yeah, I bless my enemies when you don't do community, right? It is, isn't it? You do a community for a year, and then it gets a little bit harder, and you have to rely in something much deeper and bigger than your words, don't you? Your heart actually has to prove that what you say is true, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, bless your enemies. No problem until you have a community that you're committed to, and then that thing is really proven, isn't it? <laughs> it's true. Not committing to the church because of the imperfections of others you see in the church, is actually a form of narcissism. <laughs> we good? Say that one again? Okay. Not committing to the church because of the imperfections of others you see in the church is actually a form of narcissism. Narcissism, thank you. Big word, little brain. <laughs> right? You're not perfect. The people next to you aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. The beauty of the church is in our per imperfections, we are covered by his perfection, and we unify despite our differences. That's what makes the church powerful. Now, again, I'm not talking about like unhealthy, weird, toxic dynamics where there's clear and real control and manipulation, because how many of you know that happens all over the country, right? Every day there's churches where there are manipulative, controlling people who want to diminish who you are to exalt who they are. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. That's a real thing, and you need to run far from it, right? But just because one person has tarnished a discipline of Jesus doesn't mean we need to, to, to make that thing outcast from how we live, right? Right? You need to commit to the local church. I don't care if you commit to this local church or the one down the road or the one across the state, but that you would commit to a local body of believers. Amen? Here's a newsflash. You are not perfect. Nor are you that special that you deserve to work alone. That you deserve to have your own special little space for you to work out your faith. None of us are called to that. There are no John Waynes, as my, one, of my or one of my mentors used to say, there are no John Waynes in the church. Right? We, there's no one who gets to ride in with their six-shooter and take care of all the problems by themselves. That person would be Jesus. And I'm pretty sure none of us are him. Right? You need to learn how to build an allowance, as Paul writes, for others' faults, as well as learn to be loved 
despite your own flaws. You need to learn to be loved despite your own flaws. Committing to the church is where that happens. It's the only place where that can happen in a healthy way. (laughs) All right. Just come on. You love me, right? I love you. You love me. We believe that this could be a word from God. We'll sort it out later in our own Bibles. This is not for me. I don't, I don't need, I'm not excited about saying this. Commit and submit to a leader or an elder that has succeeded where you desire to go. Even if you don't like them personally. Commit and submit. Again, submission is a choice. I can't force submission onto you. That would be control or domination. Okay? Jesus submitted himself to the Romans and to the leaders of religious uh, law. He submitted himself through his own choice. Without choice, it's not submission, it's control, isn't it? When I make the choice to submit myself to a leader, what I'm doing is I'm actually operating within the grace of God because I can't do that on my own. My flesh wants to rebel. My flesh wants to do my own thing. My flesh says, well, no, no, wait, you're right and they're wrong and your way is better, so you should just do what you want to do. But I actually exempt myself from God's grace moving through me because I've stepped out of God's plan for my life. How many of you know in a moment, the scriptures say in a moment, Jesus could have had a legion of angels fight on his behalf and conquer the Roman government and put him in, in a place of worship But he did not do it. Why didn't he do it? Because his choice of submitting to his enemies was the place where God's grace was to be released in his life. See, if he would have done it any other way than through the the way of submitting, then he would have walked outside of God's plan. And in the same way, we as people need to learn how to be able to commit and walk in submission. Now, again, not weird. Okay, so don't, don't submit yourself to somebody who just wants to beat you down and make everything you do about them, right? Then you've probably submitted to the wrong thing. You need to submit yourself to a leader who has succeeded where you want to be. You need to learn that blessing is generational, isn't it? Blessing is generational, That when you walk underneath the blessing of somebody else's life, it actually imparts into your own life. And the point is not that you would be like them, but that you would use what God has done in their life as a floor to where you're going. Right? See, all the people that I submit myself to as leaders are invested in my success. Right? And because they're invested in my success... I get to use what God has done in their life as a platform or a standing place of where I'm going. In a very simple way, their ceiling becomes my floor. And the same way for you, as you learn to submit yourself to godly leadership, not domineering, you actually get to use what God has done in that person's life as the floor for where you're going to go. That's cool, isn't it? Blessing is generational. Blessing blessing flows through people. From the heart of God through people. You will walk outside of God's favor and blessing if you're not committed to community. If you're not letting him refine your heart through community. Again, allow Jesus to promote you. How many of you know that you can't promote yourself? You can't work yourself into promotion. Who's tried that before? Doesn't work, does it? Nope. Only God can promote you. Self-promotion is the ministry of Lucifer. <laughs> Self-promotion. I'm not talking, I know, you know we use Facebook to get our messages out. and do. Th- that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about focusing on yourself and, and leveraging relationships and using everything in your, in your leverages to promote yourself is of the ministry of Lucifer. Why was he kicked out of heaven? For promoting himself. You can't promote yourself. 
Promotion, as it happened for David, only walks or only comes from walking in community and allowing God to, to recognize you before men. Right? If what is inside of you is really Jesus, he doesn't need you to fight for him. It'll make itself out. It'll, it'll, it'll come into the community and bless the community. But if it's just your flesh, what's going to happen inside community? It's going to get crushed. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Well, it doesn't feel good in the moment, but it blesses you long term, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we good? I think we're going to take a break today from that, and we'll reconvene next Sunday at 10 o'clock. How's that sound? I know this is different, but this is a teaching directed at culture, right? Because we're going we're gonna to take time the next couple of weeks stabbing and poking at culture because we're called to something more, aren't we? This church has a David anointing on it. We may seem small and insignificant to the world, but as we cast our stones at the, at the different Goliaths at church, God does something through us, doesn't he? Right? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that sometimes you step on our toes. Sometimes you, you, you correct us and you discipline us. But your word teaches us that you don't correct and discipline because you don't like us. You do it because you love us. You do it because you want to see more for our life. You want to see us grow into who you've called us to grow into. So, Father, we, we bless that, and we bless the call that you've put on our lives and the process that you've given us to make that calling come into fruition. Father, we won't quit. We won't relent. We won't give up. Lord, we'll keep pushing forward because you're worthy of the call. And we will grab onto hope as we go deeper into revelations of who you are and who you've called us to be in your name. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to worship, and if you need prayer for anything, you can come up and receive prayer. If you need to, to confront or repent or just thank God for what he's doing in your life, there's space to do that. I bless you as we worship and pray that God's process is embraced in your life. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit truly ministered to you through this message from the Word of God. If you'd like to know more, look us up at livingstonfirstchurch.com or follow us on social media. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon.